0: So I asked, I out this the other day. You probably might remember, but I was like, "What do you do when the Bible freaks you out? When it when it says something that's completely off the wall? What happens? You, first of all, you freak out, right? Like, I don't know what that tells me about God. So my question is, if it's if it's completely different than anything you've ever heard before or read before, um. You don't just throw everything away that you've known before, right? Yeah. You, you take it in context, and then you it requires further reading, yeah. let's say. So um, Malachi freaked me out. I read stuff that I had not... The Bible's cool like that. You read it through, and the next time you read it through, you'll pick up things that you've never seen before. So um, Brian, to you know that first slide? I should have marked my Bible. But this guy, this is a Jewish priest. And everything that he's wearing has some significance um, to the the character and the nature of God and his right on the Israelite people. And so he is there to represent and to speak for God and to share his wisdom with the people. Um, So this is the guy we're going to be talking about tonight a little bit. But here's the verse that freaked me out. It's in chapter 2 of Malachi, verse 3. And it says, Behold, I will rebuke your descendants, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feast, and one will take you away with it. Yes. This is the poop-faced priest. So, this, <laughs> I like it too. Um, this, I know this picture is funny, um, but this verse freaked me out because God's judgment on this man was to utterly humiliate him, to smear refuse on his face and to lead him out in front of the people. And uh, I don't know, but for some reason when I read this, the first imagery I had was uh, from this movie, Four Brothers. It's like some gangster movie. And, uh, and there's a scene in there where they're like the bad guy gangster, right? He's got all those minions and they're eating, they're eating something. And there's a big fat guy sitting there, and he like, like throw all his food on the ground. I'm like, eat it like a dog or a dog. It's just like utterly humiliating, right? And I'm like, I don't know why that's the image that I got when I read this, but that's what I felt like. And so I'm like, oh man, this is, this is severe. This is a really severe uh, punishment for a man who's supposed to be standing in front of the people for the Lord. And so I am just... Like, what? Because my thinking is that walking with God is supposed to be a relaxed love relationship. How do you relax when, when that's, that's like a consequence that could happen? You know? Um, so what do you do? Do you throw your Bible across the room and say, I'm not reading this anymore? I thought about it. Um, but no, let's, let's investigate further. Um, so uh, I like it that our church does this, and so if you will stand for the reading of God's Word, we're going to look at Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. It's okay, we won't be standing for very long. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Let's pray. God, would you speak to us tonight, Lord? Amen. You can, you can sit down. There was going to be a lot more to that prayer, I promise. But, um, so, to start off, I'm just going to throw something out there. At the beginning of the semester, I had this thought enter my head, and it sounded a little something like this. That the judgments of the Lord are intimate. Okay, I don't really remember what I was reading or what I was going through when, when that thought came across my mind. But I was like, yeah, it kind of sounds like the Lord. So just hold on to that. Write it down. Put it in the back of your mind. We're going to move on. We're going to come back to it later. But that's something um, that I thought about early on. But first we're going to take a look at, uh, at Malachi and the history and the, and the time to Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. It will be 400 years from the writing of Malachi to the birth of Christ, and in that time, there's no authorized prophecy. We'll see that there there are people that love God in that time, but there is no authorized word of prophecy for 400 years for the Israelite people. Um, the Israelites have been through a lot up to this point. Their kingdom was conquered; they were taken into ca- captivity. And then they were released to go back home under the supervision of another government. They rebuilt the temple, but it has once again fallen into decay. But they're still following Jewish traditions and customs. We're still being observed. And and so this is where we pick up the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi is written as a conversation between God and the Israelite people. But really... um, it's so easy, and you should, when you read about the Israelites, identify with them, because that's just what our human heart is like. So this is a conversation between God and man. Um, so to give a little context of what the Israelite people's attitude might be at this time, is um, they're, they're a little bit frustrated because they are the chosen people of God, right? They're supposed to be running this world, okay? They're supposed to be a light on the hill. They're supposed to be the representation of God and His kingdom to the rest of the world. And here they are, submitted to another government, to another kingdom. Um, when they were taken into captivity, um, when they were released, it was just a sm- uh, just a remnant of the Israelite people came back home. There was not very many. Most of them were from Judah. They weren't even from the northern kingdom of Israel. In the kingdom? I think that's right. Anyway. Um, Yeah, so there's just a few um, that returned and um, yeah, they weren't meant to be subject to anyone else. They were supposed to be running things. They were God's people after all. all. So they were a little hurt, a little bitter, but they still served God, but they served God because they were Jewish, not necessarily because they had any relationship with them. It's kind of like I'm Catholic because I'm Hispanic, you know, not me, but you get it. Um, it's very similar. That, that idea is very similar to what the Jewish people are going through at this time. Um, so I'm going to go through some of the main points of the conversation. It's a question and response. And I'm going to tr- do my best to try to translate a, what a question God is asking us today. So God first asked in that first Couple of verses. I have loved you. Man's response is, In what way have you loved us? Has suffering caused you to question God's love for you? And later on, God says, You despise my name. Man's response, In what way have we despised your name? Are you unaware of your sin or unfaithfulness to God? And God says, Give me a pure offering. Man's response is, Oh, what weariness. Are you drained and tired of serving God and giving things to Him? I don't know about you, but every time I seems like I give something up to the Lord to just ask for more, He asks like He's God or something, you know. <laughs> then God says, I will not regard your offerings. Man's response, For what reason? Do you give God your best? Let me put it this way. If you put as much effort into your classes as you put into your devotional life, what will your grades be? Man says, where is the justice of God? God's response, I will send my messenger. God says, will man rob me? Man's response, in what way have we robbed you? What is the thing in your life that you're unwilling to give to the Lord. God says again, Your words have been harsh against me. Man's response, What have we spoken against you? And God says, You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept His ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? Have you ever Wept at the altar for forgiveness and then left just to go back to the sin for which you repented. In Kai we say, discipline is deliverance lived out. And then God's final question or er, statement Return to me, and I will return to you. Man's response In what way shall we return? You can go to the next line. Morgan sums it up beautifully. He says, the whole prophecy reveals a callous people and a sensitive God. I don't know about you, but I just love that idea that God is sensitive. It means he hears you. It means he has compassion. You, you know, It just speaks so clearly about his character. And um, this painting, I don't know if you've had like Art 101, but they always go through this painting. And I love it. And it just, it's a very good description of what's going on here in Malachi. If you look, you see God, and he's looking intently at man. His, his, his arm is flexed out, and his fingers are reaching. He's reaching. Man here is kind of laid back like, eh, here you go, God. I'll give you what, what I don't have to put too much effort into. Wow. Right? All right, we will pick up the Israelite story a little bit later. But first, I would like you to take a trip with me down memory lane. I have been in Kaiafa now for 10 years. Yeah. So this picture over here, this is my first ever LTC retreat. Um, this guy, up there at the top, was the first guy to ever disciple me. He, uh, man, he loves me when nobody else did. I owe a, lot to, owe a lot to that guy. These two pictures down here are stupid. Uh, this is, uh, this is my first ever resource, and man, I love those guys. That's an inside joke between me and Daniel. Uh, <laughs> that one up top is my first Chi Alpha wedding, which you guys are gonna get to experience this year. Woo! Woo. Woo. Hey, yeah. Which one? <laughs> I'm ready going, man. Um, Woo. Well, I married that girl. That the party with you. So my first year in Chi Alpha was. Was just awesome. I came from. from. I had just gotten saved. And one of the first things for me to go was friends. Um, I didn't really have any friends. Other than that one guy. Um, who we had kind of just met. So. I was. I didn't have any friends who loved God. For sure. Um, and so when I came into Alpha, Man it was like. It was just a relief. To find friends. And then. This is a really dumb prayer, but this prayer I prayed when I got saved. I said, Lord, if I never have fun ever again, I will serve you. (laughs) Right? You can have my life. And then that first year of small group, man, stories I can't tell. (laughs) We had a lot of fun. (laughs) Um, Kyle also became my home and my family. My brothers in small group became closer than my actual brothers. And it's because we had no secrets, and we shared everything. Chi Alpha was the answer to my prayers, and my first year was like nothing I had ever experienced before. Um, yeah, I love thinking about those times. Um, and I'm still close to a lot of those guys. But as time went on, I started to hear the same sermons, the same Chi isms over and over again, and this wonderfully beautiful life in the kingdom of God started to become common. I believe that I was I believe that I was one of the ones who got it and understood some things, but what I did is I began to rely on other people's devotional lives for my spiritual health. Around this time I was offered a job by the electrician company that I used to work for before I got to Kaiofa. And uh, this was an awesome job. I was kind of going to kind of be the boss on this job site. And um, I was going to get paid really well. I would have enough money to pay for the rest of my school and come back and not really have to work too much. And so I was talking to people in my life and they're like, yeah, do it. It makes perfect sense. And then I talked to my pastor and he simply said, just don't come back with a new truck, which was the one thing I was going to splurge on. And I knew in my spirit right then. That, uh, that that was the Lord. And so I turned down the job. But then I started to have this attitude of God. I gave up this awesome job for you. I gave up this awesome opportunity. I'm working three jobs. And still not paying rent. And, um, and I said. Now bless me. Bless my small group and give me all the guys. I want all the guys in the small group now. Um. Within the next few days, I got fired from one of my jobs. My car broke down, and I had an utter mutiny in small group. And so began one of the greatest times in my life. Walking to work all the way across Huntsville, Texas. Spending time with God. It's a time that I cherish, but it was a tough situation. It's funny how that seems to work. Um, Later on, a couple years later... You can go to the next slide. I went to on a two-month internship with those two other guys. And, uh, man, that was a tough summer. I, I, I can say now with a pure and a clean heart that I love those two men. I do. That summer, I could not have said the same thing. We... when. Uh, when <laughs> When you're living with the only other two people that speak the same language as you, and you're spending every waking moment together, you get on each other's nerves. It's just the nature of what happens between brothers. But that was a really hard summer. And uh, we fought with and against and for each other that summer, Uh, but it was hard. And then what I came away with after that was this, this idea That if the missionary life was going to be this hard and that tough and this much full of awfulness, then I would still do it. Uh, Now I want to fast forward to last semester. Last semester, without going into too much detail, last semester was rough. It was rough both for um, our family. It was also hard on our Kayafi family in general. We all kind of went through... Some awful stuff last year. And then my attitude was once again. Let's not question God. Let's not talk to God. If life is going to suck this much, I'll still go and serve Him. Um, and that seems, like a good, that seems like a good attitude. It seems like a good attitude. But there's a big problem with it. See, ever since I met the Lord and started following Christ, the devil has always told me this little lie. And it's always kind of been in the back. And I think it's something similar to a lie you might hear. But it's something like this. You aren't really a Christian. And to me specifically, it was, you're just a spy for my army. You're just spying in this Chi Alpha thing so that I can bring it all down someday. When you're ready, your sin is going to be revealed and your whole kingdom will come crashing down around you. Notice what I said. My kingdom, my reputation, my job, my status, my security. My kingdom. I was building my kingdom. So here I am, the poop faced priest who's built his own kingdom upon the name of the Lord. And I'm sorry. Sorry to all of you. And the reason I was so offended when I read this is because I identified with these priests. But the Lord is not cruel in his judgment. He has simply taken what was in our hearts and put it on our face for the world to see. But enough about me, I want to talk about one of Jesus' best friends and how he dealt with him. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. And uh, can somebody just read verse 31 through 35? I forgot to mark it. I got it. All right. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Now, Jesus was, or Peter was in the midst of his 12 best friends. You know, it's quite audacious to say, even if all these other guys turn away, I'm not. <laughs> Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the other disciples. Now we pick up the rest of the story here in verse uh, 69. Now Peter sat outside the courtyard. And a servant girl came to him saying. You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying. I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway. Another girl saw him. And said to those who were there. This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed and Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly that is humiliating. It's awful. It's so sad. Peter is one of Jesus's best friends, but in the midst of some of the hardest things that they went through, I believe this is like the hardest thing Peter ever went through. Worse than hanging upside down on a cross later in his life. This this was the lowest point Peter experienced. But thank you Jesus. The story picks up in John 21. If I can get there. And I'm like, usually I don't like the titles of chapters in the Bible because it like gives stuff away. But I love this one. Breakfast by the sea. Like, this is cool. It sounds like a boring essay or something. Um, But verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Remember when he stood up and said, even if all these guys, I won't. So Jesus makes him face that same exact thing. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, Jesus asked Peter three times if he loves him. Because Peter denied him three times. You see, this is perfect judgment and restoration for Peter. It's absolutely perfect. He didn't ask him four times. Four times would have been cruel. But three times was just enough. So here I am. Dealing with this idea that I don't really know God. That I'm a fake and a phony. And I'm reading through Malachi. And I read this verse. It's in Malachi 3.5. And it says, I will come near for your judgment. And guys, when I read this, I just, I lost it. Because I was so relieved to know that I really did know God. But here's the, here's the thing. When we experience grace, we're left with an option. We can, um, we can treat it as a pardon. And continue in our crime. Or we can deal with it. As Jesus dealt with Peter. Right? And so to do this. By the way. People don't really like reading the, 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 the prophets. Because it's all about judgment. Judgment is as a separation of things. It's always a separation of the good and the bad. And the world, the world we live in today is always trying to muddy the waters and say this is the same as that and whatever. But Jesus came to be a sword and to separate truth from the lie, to separate the sheep from the goats. Judgment is saying this is life and this is death. Please choose life. And so when I read this, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, separate the truth from the lie. judgment of the Lord is intimate. But the truth of the matter was, is that my walk with God was starting to get calloused. And the truth is, who can really know God? He is this magnificent, wonderful, majestic, eternal, like, amazing being that we only get a glimpse of. But the thing is, is you can know his voice and you can know his character and you can trust and count on him. There are things to be known about our God. He makes a way for us to know him and know him absolutely. We're going to read a verse in chapter three. Verse two and three. But Who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? When you're humiliated, you have an option with your pride. It can die, which is the right thing, or you can fight to keep it and get yourself all caught up in the mud in the process. So you can let it die. Or you can try to fight to hold on to it. If you fight to hold on to it, eventually you become bitter. Eventually you become angry and you will become a God hater, even if you go to church on Sunday. And Chi Alpha on Thursday. But then in the next verse. Who can stand when he appears? Can't stand with your pride. For he is like a refiner's fire. And like launderer's soap. You see yes. The Lord will reveal your dirty heart. But not without also offering a way to clean it up. Yeah, I'm going to say that again. The Lord will reveal your dirty heart, but not without also offering a way to clean it up. Now we'll continue the last part of the conversation in Malachi. If somebody wants to come back up from the band. He says, God says, return to me and I will return to you. And man's response is, in what way shall we return? For it is useless to serve God. But then, but then, in chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Then those who fear the Lord spoke to one another, and they listened and heard them. And then the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him. For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. And on that day I, will, I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Those who fear the Lord are like jewels to Him. He cherishes you if you serve him. Morgan wants to port uh, G. Campbell Morgan. Points out two things about these people that are very significant. First is that they spoke one to another, they talked to each other, and they talked to each other about the name of the Lord. And it also says in other translations that they spoke often to one another, revealing that this was a way of life among them. And second is this is that they meditated on the name of the Lord. Now what's really cool is the Hebrew word here for meditate also means to take up inventory. They took up their inventory in the name of the Lord. Their wealth was laid up in the name and the character of God. Man, that's so good. They were grateful. They were grateful for who God was and is and will forever be, right? In the midst of a suffering nation, they are giving glory and gratitude to God. You can go to the next slide. G. Campbell Morgan says In that mental activity, resulting in the fellowship with others, we find the secret of loyalty in the midst of decadence. See, our loyalty to God is not based on something we like to call grit, which we've heard a lot of. Grit, I think, is important. But grit is nothing without gratitude. Gratitude is the grit, I would say. It's not to do the work of the Lord even if it sucks, but to take inventory of the name of the in the wealth of the name of God with gratitude in our hearts, to think and to delight and to talk about the character of God in the fellowship with others. You see, the way back to God is not just intimate, but it's also corporate. You can't do it by yourself, but you must bring others with you. You must. This is why we do small group. Because first, Jesus did small group. And he restored Peter in front of all of his other brothers. You know what I mean? It's like, man, this is the way Jesus did it. This is the way we should do it. Yeah, the way back to God is both intimate and corporate. You must bring people into your life that is a relationship with God. Man, the Lord always leaves us with hope. In Malachi chapter 4 verse 2, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out. Right? He will heal you for a purpose. Which is great news because it means you didn't suffer for no reason. You didn't just suffer and get humiliated for its own sake. But for the sake of the kingdom. So, I loved what Daniel had to say. And I really remember that picture of all those dishes. And what spoke to me that night was when Daniel said... I didn't put there, I didn't put you there in that kitchen to punish you. I put you there to teach you how to preach. My question to you tonight is are you too proud to preach your suffering or will you bury your pride tonight? I'm gonna pray but my hope is, is this, I, I believe the message tonight um, deserves an altar call, but the altar is in your small group. Confess these things to your small group um, because where two or three are gathered, the Lord is there also. But not just the Lord is there. He's listening intently to what's going on in your small group, and He cares. It says, like, when it says the Lord heard them, it's like He His ears were pricked and he was like oh there's there's those people there's the people that I, I want to delight in and it's not that he delights in your suffering or your confession or your sin he delights in the healing that's in his wings and the healing that he brings to a family and the healing he brings to a smaller and the healing he brings to your soul because he wants to take you home forever